Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to do us one week at a time. I'm your host, Jack, and with me are my co host, Andy. Hello. Tessa. Hello. And Sam. Hello. I'm taking over Monkey Off My Backlog this week because I assigned the host pop culture content that is important to me so I could come on and talk about it. This week, we will discover who Deep Throat is, why the last day of summer camp is the best, and where in the sky to find the Northern Lights. All three are guaranteed to make me laugh no matter how many times I've seen them, so let's get started by starting with the one that takes place first in the timeline, the movie Dick. So Dick is the story of two teenage girls, who, um, one of which, played by Michelle Williams, lives in the Watergate Hotel and uncovers some murky business, and then get embroiled with Richard Nixon, Bob Woodward, and Carl Bernstein, and we find out who Deep Throat was the whole time. Two teenage girls. As it always should have been. (laughs) I don't know how I didn't know about this movie. Like, I had no idea what this movie was going into it. So this was a pleasant surprise for me. Of the three movies I signed, this was the only one I saw in theaters, and I was 11 years old, and I don't know why my mom took me to this movie, but she did, and it's... (laughs) So this is like a formative movie, as well as being a comfort movie. Yes. When I rewatched it in May, I was like, I could, I was like, it all came back to me. 11-year-old Jack going to the movie theater. But yeah, this has Kirsten Dunst, Michelle Williams. It's about Watergate and teenage girls. It's hilarious. I I really don't know how I missed this film. I've I had never heard of it before you assigned it. Baby Ryan Reynolds. Baby yeah, Ryan I, Reynolds. I feel like this movie combined with Wet Hot American Summer has every single comedian that was going at the end of the 90s and into the 2000s. Like, every single person. I don't know if there's any overlap at all, but it's all of them. Uh, well, Did you not I'm, like? I'm happy, uh, I'm happy some people like this movie. So you didn't, Andy. I appreciated this movie. Why do you hate joy, Andy? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what this about has nothing to do with the quality of the movie. You just hate Kirsten Dunst, don't you? That's what it is. Oh, uh, oh, oh! I, I, I wish, I wish it was because I hated Kirsten Dunst. Uh, no, no, she, she's wonderful. This movie's wonderful. Uh, this was a movie I recognized as being one of the movies in the comedy section that my mother wouldn't let me rent, and I didn't know why. What do you think now? Oh, oh! It, it was just totally the, the title of the film and two girls in bikinis. Once you see these girls, like they're two teenage girls and it's kind of about 15 year olds, like both of them are playing very funny, very precocious 15 year old girls who somehow become deep throat. But like there are some moments where I did feel a little uncomfortable being like, these are 15 year old girls like and the way the movie positions them is a little bit sexual. At, you mean at the beginning when the uh, Secret Service guys are staring at them in their uh in a room yeah and, like i'll take the one with the cart- cartwheels i was like oh are they like 21 are they in college uh no 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 they're 15 
Yeah, there were a couple of moments where I kind of felt like that. And I feel like if they marketed it that way, like with them in bikinis, I could see where I would be like, no, I don't want to watch this film. But like, that's like such a small part of this movie that it didn't really bother me all that much. Right, right, right. Just my mom clearly thought this was a Porky's situation. Ah, gotcha. I think the strength of this film is in the performances by Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst. Like, both of them not only sell being 15-year-old girls, like, they're silly, they're funny. Kirsten Dunst plays uh, someone who's a little bit spacey, a little bit of an airhead, but in, like, an adorable, funny, engaging way. Michelle Williams isn't too far behind. But, like, seeing them interact with, like, real historical figures who, like, completely misunderstand them I feel like that says something about the way adults interact with children. Like there's all of these, like Nixon, his staff, they all think that these girls like have something on them. And these girls just kind of stumble into it. Like they absolutely do not know what's going on for the first half of the film. And I find that very funny. I've got away with young people. They trust me. (laughs) All that was missing from that quote was suck it to me. So I, I have to give the entire cast uh, credit for this. Uh, Saul Rubinick as Henry Kissinger is yes just such a beautiful, amazing uh, casting choice. The Will Ferrell and Bruce McCulloch, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein <laughs> was great. It really feels like, you know, you, you describe these characters as precocious, but honestly, it feels like Bill and Ted, which is fine. Which is fine. I, I thought that was very, very funny. No, it's it's clear that Kirsten Dunst's character was my favorite character, and she's definitely the Keanu Reeves of the two. So I approve of your argument. I told Tessa this, but did you, Andy and Sam, did you recognize who plays the, her brother from the 90s TV? No. It's Brian Krakow from My So-Called Life. Oh, well. I I've knew I recognized him, but I couldn't uh, place him. Whole movie. Thank you. Yeah, this is some pretty good casting choices. And like you mentioned, Jack, there's a very baby Ryan Reynolds in this too, which was, that was a very funny scene as well. Do you remember what I said to you, Tessa? I don't remember, actually. Serena married him. Yeah, that's true. And then then 30 seconds later, and so did ScarJo. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely true. I think the funniest part of this film for me is the missing section of tape is actually like her recording of Michelle Williams recording her love for Richard Nixon, like dictating like how much she loves him as his schoolgirl crush. But she starts singing. I honestly love you by Olivia Newton, John. And like, that was just like the perfect, the perfect thing. Like seeing her singing that song in the office to Richard Nixon. Just perfect. No notes. Uh, can we also throw a little bit of love for uh, Ted McGinley? Um, sitcom sitcom uh, ruiner and star of all sitcoms, Ted McGinley. I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. Well, what about Hen- Harry Shear as uh, you know who that is. G. Gordon Levy or French Stewart as the narrator interviewer? I like to think of it as Waylon Waylon Smithers as G. Gordon Liddy. Oh, uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, no, no. Th- this is this is a very funny, specific type of comedy that you don't like. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to tell you why I didn't like it? Why, Andy? Why do you hate joy? 
So I'm I'm about uh, uh let's say five years and two hundred American history podcasts on the Watergate scandal and Nixon and Kissinger too late to be able to laugh at Kissinger and Nixon. So you know too much about the story is I, what you're I, saying. Yes, yes. And and also uh, you know, how even people who are this stupid can get away with it. And all the stuff that Nixon and Kissinger got away with, plus the entire, you know, 2016 to 2020 presidency. I I, I would have loved this movie had I watched it, you know, during the Obama years. I, I would have loved this movie if I had watched this earlier. It is very funny. The kids in the hall are great. I, I love all the stuff that's in this. I, I love the characters. Um, Michelle Williams playing a much more believable character than she does in Venom. Kirsten Dunst. I'm always a fan of Kirsten Dunst. But uh, yeah, this this really uh, put into my mind just existential rage. Ah, I do appreciate because I love background humor. Like they never actually say what the crimes are that he's like committing while in office, but you kind of see them in the background, like when they accidentally stumble into the money, uh, the, the money laundering and, right. and the creep list, the creep list. Yeah. All of that stuff is very funny to me because they have no idea what's going on. And like the thing that they actually get him on, they don't even realize that it's a crime until like three quarters of the way through the movie. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, them being his secret youth advisors, while <laughs> while Nixon is high, like 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 all of that is like, oh, this is incredibly funny. But then also like blaming Nixon's paranoia mm, yeah. on the marijuana, like 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 that kind of stuff is like, oh, I just know too much, and this is this is too real for me now. I can't I can't laugh about this as much as I'd want to. One little joke that I always love about this movie, though, is the McDonald's bit with the bus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back and get cold cafeteria food. Bagged lunch from the cafeteria, which, by the way, is really the worst. It is. It is. And I, I'm guessing that they were in a Catholic school. What? I... How did... <laughs> what? How do you, okay, so what's in the what's the difference between the bag lunch to Catholic school and a public school? Uh, one comes with a lot more guilt. Yeah, what's wrong with Catholic school? <laughs> I love how they keep trying to tell people that they are secret youth advisors of Richard Nixon, and no one believes them. I just also want to remark on Kirsten Dunst's like fourteen month run of Drop Dead Gorgeous, Virgin Suicides. Oh, wow. And bring it on. All that was all in 14 months? Like 15 months of each other. She really was yeah. the queen of cinema in the late 90s. There was like, and she had other things too, but those four movies alone. We, we can talk about Kristen Dunn's things before that didn't matter before she did the role that introduced me to her, which is, of course, Mary Jane. Ah, early 2000s. Yes. Yes. That is, that, that is, that is when I... I first came to uh, to know Kristen Dunst because I was, you know, eleven. I just think it's funny through an accident, through no no good reason, but 
I happen to be introduced to both Kirsten Dunst and Natalie Portman in their most famous child roles. So it's very, it's really, it's always really weird. I was like, I remember you when you were a child. We are the same age. Like, she's like three years younger than me. But like, I definitely saw Interview first. (laughs) So much like I saw The Professional long before I saw any other. Natalie Portman. So it's really funny thinking about them as as like middle-aged people and I mean if they are I am, but it's it's very interesting. Do we also want to bring up that she was in uh Bring It On and The Crow Salvation in those 14 months? Okay. Yeah, well, it's already been brought in that fact. The, the what about The Crow colon Salvation? Nobody likes to remember that film. I don't even know what number it is. I do want to say really quickly before we move on that the soundtrack to this movie is also great. You get Dancing Queen, ABC, Crocodile Rock, Lady Marmalade, Hooked on a Feeling. I'm just skipping down here. Uh, Come and Get Your Love, uh, You're So Vain is a really prominently featured song in this film. Like The soundtrack is really good without being like overly this is a film that doesn't happen in this decade. You know, I think it works pretty well. I want to, I want to hear more Jack about why. I mean, I, I'm not as, I'm not as worried about this as I am about wet, hot American summer, but, but why? Why this movie? Um, probably just because I recently rewatched it and it's just movie from my youth. And I, I'm a big history person, and so probably that connection of just, like, I found it always very funny. Being an 11-year-old, I probably, um, or that kind of sense of humor just kind of has stuck and embedded into my sense of humor, which will also come up with Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, it's just, having, we we watched it recently, it just was, like, needed an excuse to talk about it and share with other people who had never seen it before. Swash never even heard of it. I mean, that makes sense in in terms of the canon because it sounds like what you're saying is that part of part of the draw of this movie and it sounds like Wet Hot American Summer. And I know there are a couple others on the list too. In in those cases, it's it's about like you just said, forming a a sense of humor, whereas other films obviously did other things. But I guess the bigger question is then. We we've mentioned this a couple of times, um, and you know we've we've talked about it offline, you know, with a few other people. But this idea of a personal canon, I think we should back up and say a little bit more about that. Like, how long has Jack had a personal canon, and what does that mean? So, friend of the show always created one. And I was like, that sounds like a fun idea. So I started thinking on it. I made an initial list, and then as I've been like rewatching movies, or sometimes watching movies for the first time, just kind of been adding them and just trying to think of movies that like if people want to kind of get who I am through film, since that's a big part of my personality is movie watching. These are kind of the movies I would suggest to people, so then they can kind of understand who I am and my interests. So this is, you know, the the Western canon is supposed to be an objective list of all the greatest things ever written, which is every word of that is wrong. But the idea behind 
a, a personal canon is is the opposite. This is this is not an objective based best of list. It is a subjective. If you want to know me, these are the movies list. Correct. So it's not like a film canon. It's more of a Jack canon. Yes. Not like to be that. confused with the Andy canon, which is what we use to shoot him into the space. <laughs> it's what you use to make an Andy-shaped hole in any wall. I've never seen Kids in the Hall, but from my understanding, knowing that some of the actors were in Kit, Kids in the Hall, it feels like that's the kind of, or sense of humor that I would probably appreciate. Knowing that that's a blind spot of mine, or a monkey. Going a little bit further in time and going to Wet Hot American Summer, and which is a movie about the last day of summer camp at a Jewish summer camp in upstate Maine, or I guess in Maine, and stars many comedians you'd recognize as big stars now. Amy Poehler, Bradley Cooper, Elizabeth Banks, Michael Ian Black, Janine Gloffia, David Hyde Pierce, and several others. Directed by David Wayne and and features other members of the comedy group, The State. So what did you guys think of The Last Day of Camp? I always think that Michael Ian Black is a kid's in the hall, and then I remember he's The State. Is that right? Yes. I honestly was not sure what to expect going into this movie, because obviously I have heard of this movie. This is a movie that is kind of a cult classic. People love this movie. They talk about it a lot. And I didn't really know much about it other than it was kind of a capsule movie about like one day, basically, which I always enjoyed that. I know Andy does too, like the idea of it taking place in during one day or one place. And I knew that all of these people had gotten their start kind of in it or that had been first kind of seen in this film together. So I really wasn't sure what I was getting myself into but I think I could best describe this movie as a series of sketches that are all kind of interconnected. Is that, would you both agree with that as a thought? I would agree. I, I'll, 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 I'll agree just a little bit. And, and heavily improvised. Yeah. That was the other thing that we learned is that actually a lot of this wasn't scripted. Like a lot of it was improvised by the cast, which I do think makes it kind of funnier. Yes. Nothing beats the scene. It's it's Paul Rudd's character, Andy, right? Who like when Janine Garofalo's character drags him out of the lunchroom, he just he does like the like the you know sulky teenager thing of just flailing around and that was probably my favorite part of the entire movie. Pictured here, Sam trying to get me to do my dissertation. <laughs> That is a scene that my wife and I often recreate when <laughs> one of us does not want to do the dishes. <laughs> Minus the actually throwing the plate, but the... Uh, yeah. The, the whole thing. I do have a question, though. Do kids die in this movie? Maybe. <laughs> they just uh, go off to another summer camp upstate. <laughs> but great summer camp in the sky. Because, the swimming I, is because I, I think two two kids kind of maybe drown in this movie like <laughs> uh, like off car. camera and then there's the scene where uh oh god what's his name throws a child out of the he moving van he does it twice mm. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid that 
asks where his buddy is, but then gets thrown out of the van. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle Gallner. You've definitely seen him in like, oh. he's in the most recent screen movie, Veronica Mars. He was Bart Allen on Smallville. You guys would definitely recognize him. Well, the other actor whose name I cannot remember is also from Veronica Mars, the one who actually throws him out of the van. Ken Marino. Ken Marino. Yeah, Ken Marino. Yeah. yeah. My hair just, it just grows in that way. <laughs> I had a this, friend in high school who actually had hair like that. I'm like, okay. This movie was really funny, but I will say that about halfway through the movie, it kind of became a different movie in terms of just the level of absurdity that it kind of devolves into. <laughs> like the first part of it, I was like, okay, like this is a this is a heightened but genuinely like this is what I would think people are doing on the last day of summer camp but then by like halfway through the movie you have like potentially a spaceship that's going to land like in the middle of the camp it's a skylab not a spaceship you have a scene where they're all strung out on drugs like there's there's a lot of this that's probably the point where it uh, starts to jump the shark is when they go into town for just an hour yeah yeah, uh, the scene where Janine Garofalo like runs into the the thing and is like destroying the lab while trying to get to the phone. Like, it is a level of absurdism that I wasn't expecting, <laughs> and I think I like the first half of the movie more than I like the second half. But I can appreciate the second half. I just appreci- appreciate the part where they go into town and they get back and they're like all having laughs and they're like, "It's amazing what you can do in town for just one hour." <laughs> H. John Benjamin's role as a can of vegetables. Christopher Maloney's role yeah. as the 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 cook of the camp who's been to Vietnam, and that's a big part of his backstory. That is the funniest and, I've ever seen Christopher does, Maloney be. They do the the training montage where he's the coach. I mean, it's great. Jack, have you seen the Netflix shows? I was going to say they do explain yeah. <laughs> the can thing in the Netflix shows. The can has a backstory? The can has a backstory. The The beauty of the Netflix shows, which I'm going to remind you, came out in 2015. It stars the entire main cast 10 years before. Also explained in the Netflix shows is the higher and higher song that plays throughout the movie. That get, that song gets a backstory. Yeah, so so all the actors are 15 years older and they're playing uh this is the first day of summer, right? In the first yeah, the first day camp. There's one Netflix show that's the first day of the same summer and then there's another one that's the 10-year reunion that they hint that during the credits of the movie. So so it is all just them in like purposely bad wigs and playing the same characters. David Hyde Pierce is wonderful uh, writing his <laughs> Fraser High. But really, for me, the thing about this movie that I love is that it gave us David Wayne as a film director. And um, David Wayne's later romantic comedy parody, They Came Together, is one of my favorite comedies of all time, but also role models. Is that the one? That's Tina Fey, right? No, it's Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. This movie really did answer the question that I didn't know I had about how how are all these people always in each other's properties? Uh, yeah, of this movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're well, they're all from the state, right? 
So it's just, it's really interesting to see them all like, oh, now I know why Paul Rudd was in Parks and Rec. Like, that's how they know each other. Mm-hmm. Also, for my Grey's Anatomy fans, Marguerite Moreau is Nurse Rose from Grey's Anatomy. She's also Cat in the Mighty Ducks movie where I had a big crush on her. And that was very exciting for me when I saw her in this movie, too. Definitely interesting to see where Bradley Cooper, like, he would be start being an alias later this same year. So it's a it's a big shift. I'm not saying Amy Poehler to Jennifer Garner. That's fine. That's that's like a parallel move right there. It's just like completely. If anything, it's a backtrack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he also he also like willingly came back for Wet Hot American Summer. So uh, the the first day of camp. So that's I get the feeling that that Bradley Cooper's a gamer. Like, I, I think he comes in and he does the work and he's happy to be there. Well, I also feel like these people genuinely like each other. And that's not always true. Did you read about how they made it? So they were all like staying. They actually all stayed in the cabins while they were filming it. And it was like most often muddy and rainy. So they kind of had all this time to bond while they're making it. So. Yeah. And you can tell that because this is so heavily improvised and the sketches are just kind of put together that they're all very comfortable with each other they're all extremely like giving to each other when it comes to these lines and I think that that makes this film but it also explains why people like Bradley Cooper and Paul Rudd would come back because they have like these connections with these other people did you guys have any favorite little bits what my favorite bit that always gets me is every time Someone throws things at David Hyde Pierce's house. The you hear a pop break, even though it's clearly when the things being thrown is nowhere near where it's like it just drops and you hear the pop break. I mean, my favorite was definitely the the lunchroom scene that we talked about earlier. However, there is also a Wilhelm scream in this movie, which is great. I really liked the scene it's such a small part of this but the scene where the crafts teacher is like basically doing group therapy with her class and they're basically like you deserve better than your ex-husband and like be strong like it's just like a really great like little sketch that just it's very very funny and has a good payoff it does have a good payoff for for me it is just definitely anything to do with the water i i found every every single water gag like the river rafting yeah the the speedboat <laughs> you know the the multiple drownings that clearly happened like <laughs> I, everything about that i just i just loved i i don't know why it also just christopher maloney just like nailing amy polar when he throws the door open like she's got like a whole tray of dishes and just like he hits her so hard and she just goes like head over heels with everything like Shouldn't be that funny, but it is hilarious. Janine Guafo's eyes when he's doing his monologue, too, when he talks about rubbing mud on his ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why is this one on your on your Jack Cannon? So this is a movie I had heard of because of the cult. And then I remember in Spanish class, one of my classmates who was a year ahead of me talking about it. And I was like, man, I should really try to rent it. and. So I went to Blockbuster and was able to somehow rent it and watched it. And it just, I was a probably 13 year old, or no, I was 15 year old boy when I saw it. So it just 
is that 15, a lot of like 15 boy humor that just kind of embedded into me like some a lot of the jokes we said like the barbecue sauce bit it was that kind of humor just it was the right age and just stuck with me i've seen it at least 10 times this is this is your wayne's world for me that wayne's world is my version of that what you just said right place right time yeah yeah are you sam and tessa are you gonna check out the netflix shows now that you've seen the movie I think so. I mean, this was this was good enough, and I am really actually interested to know where they go with it. I don't dislike this movie as much as Andy dislikes Dick, and I don't think we either one of us actually dislike either movie. But it it, it didn't. I I don't know. It just didn't click with me because it wasn't that right place, right time. However, the fact that they've made based on these characters and exponential times more stuff than the actual length of the movie. Like they've been, they've expanded on the movie like four or five times over in the two Netflix series, which I think is an achievement. And it I is think, a, it yeah. is a short movie. It's only an hour and a half long. I was going to say a perfect Andy movie. Another thing I think that stuck with me is as a person who never got to go to a sweepover camp like this, it probably was like, this is what I missed out on. Could have had all these kind of crazy shenanigans. Yes, this is exactly what would have happened if you had gone to camp. You would have died. You would have drowned. <laughs> or I would have played uh, Captured a Flag with a marathon runner. The the guy at the end of the movie, I, I like to think that he is from the uh, Dirty Dancing place. Because they announce him as somebody who's from one of those places. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, it's the one from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I'm like, no, it's the one from Dirty Dancing, which explains why he's so old. Tessa, just uh, j- just so you know, if you're going to give the uh, the Netflix shows a-, a shot, it is it is much, much, much less grounded than the first half of this movie. Fair. Well, and I, I, I think that if I rewatched it, I would probably like enjoy it more. It was just more of like surprise that it went there. I'm just saying there is a hired assassin named the Falcon in the show. I can't wait. Can't wait. So the last movie we're discussing is from the eighties and it is contemporary to when it came out called local hero. It is a Scottish film about a Texas oil man who is tasked by his boss to go to Scotland to do a reconnaissance, like a scout, a location for a, potential refinery but he also is tasked with checking out the sky for his star obsessed boss to find the northern lights and he meets a town full of interesting characters to say the least i don't think they make movies like this anymore they certainly do not like this is a dramedy but it's a dramedy that relies a lot on just like place and character humor like it's like he goes to this town and then a lot of the humor comes just from his interactions with the town but it's not like a fish out of water scenario it's just these are like real people and they just happen to be really funny but it is still a drama it is still dealing with like some pretty like big issues and I just don't feel like I see movies like this anymore that just like hang out in one place and do this kind of blend of drama and humor. Now, you you did say that it was not a fish out of water story, but there is a mermaid. There is a mermaid, sort of. I think this movie also answers a very important question that I know a lot of us have thought about. 
If Mark Knopfler scored a movie, what movie would that be? That was my biggest takeaway from this movie. It was like, okay, yeah, I hear. And I had just read an article that was talking about the comeback of CDs and the best, I don't remember the metric, like fastest selling or best selling once the format was introduced, which was in the early 80s and then into the mid 80s. So this is a couple of years after this movie. But Dire Straits' Brothers in Arms was the first best-selling CD. And and we had that CD. That was one of the first ones my dad bought. Uh, and so it's just really funny thinking about Mark Knopfler being a cultural influence during this very specific time period, this very couple couple of years in the 80s. And I don't know, I just fixated on that because that was a name. I, I was like, Mark Knopfler did the score for this movie? And it, it, it is it is a score that would not fit in many movies, which, like you said, Tessa, they don't make anymore. It's a very particular kind of movie. This movie doesn't even exist in HD. Uh, I believe it's uh, would be called like a cozy town movie. Yes. So it's a very British thing, too. It's a sweater movie. It is a sweater movie. And And if you said a doctor is in this movie... You would guess. You would you would be so far down on the list before you came up with which the doctor is in this movie. <laughs> a very, very young Peter Capaldi. Pre-Malcolm Tucker. Not a swear in the movie. There are some gags in this movie, though, that would fit, I think, in Wet Hot American Summer. This bit with the rabbit. The bit with the people leaving the church. Yes, my favorite kind of humor is background humor, and that was a perfect example. Poor Trudy. Poor Trudy. I will say that this is a twist, because the other line in the story is like, big Texas oil executive comes to this town, and he's trying to buy the whole town so they can build, is it a refinery that they're trying to build? Yeah. Yeah. And so like you get this like symbolism, especially at the beginning when they're like looking at the model and they like they just pick up the whole town and replace it with like a different different thing. And you're like, oh, like this is that story where he comes to town and like he's resisted by the townspeople and and he has to he like falls in love with the town. No, these people want to sell out like all of them are just like, we're going to be rich. Like it's it is a very interesting inversion of that usual story and so all of the trans people are trying to make sure that this deal goes through instead of instead of actually like resisting it and and when we say oil man we've said it a couple of times already if you're thinking a daniel day lewis or or b like um gecko yeah if you're thinking one of those two personas which is a those are the two appropriate caricatures that should come to mind when you think about Oil Man. He's not either one of those. No. He might have Gordon Gecko aspirations, but he's terrible at it. You know, he, he he thinks he's much cooler than he is, this guy from Houston. And so it's it's the way we're talking about it out loud, it it, it kind of sounds like a very different movie, but this is a guy who I think the best way to describe it is to say that you know immediately he's too soft for this business. Like he's not able to to really be a part of this kind of cutthroat oil world and the movie's really about that realization that this is not the person who he is. He has to get really drunk to finally realize it, but 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't we all? At first, I thought you were talking about his boss, and I was going to say, "Are you trying to shame him like his therapist is?" Oh man, the therapist all of bit these, was so creepy. Yeah, all three of these movies have some really weird pieces of just. I mean, You're getting to the connective tissue between the three. Why I chose all three? No, <laughs> I saw that. I I definitely saw that. But yeah, I mean, I think that there is connective tissue between the three, but it would be a mistake to say that the humor in this is similar to that of Wet Hot American Summer. It is much more... Except for the shaming part. Except yeah, for the except therapist, for which which definitely feels like he could have been in that movie. the on the window uh, when he was putting the, <laughs> the words up on the window outside. The main character's <laughs> boss has a therapist whose job is to basically yell at him and like say like, you're an idiot, like just kind of shame him and they're like in a fight the whole time. So so like a um uh Tony Robbins kind of self-help. Yes. Yeah, there's this scene where he's in his it's the guy who owns the company or one of the people, uh, or at least top management. And so he's like up in a very high floor of the building, and this guy's got like a window washer get up. And he's putting like a sign up so, uh, outside. What's gone up so far is mother, and he's got the F. <laughs> it's just <sighs> yeah, that that's a little bit over the top, but a lot of it is just like so character based. Like the idea that the person who runs the hotel is also the accountant of the town, and like everybody has like three or four jobs, and they're surprised that he only has one job. Like it, it's it's just such a like rich tapestry of characters. Did you recognize the actor who played Gordon from his most famous role? No, he's Wedge and and Tellys. Oh wow! Yep. Yeah, that is oh. that guy, isn't it? I didn't recognize him at all, but yeah, now that you say that, I've, I'm suddenly seeing the similarities. So, beyond the connective tissue that we've already identified, why is this one on Jack's canon? So, this movie I had ne- I maybe had heard of before lockdown, but I'm a subscriber at the Criterion streaming service, and early in lockdown, it's like. I need something to watch. I saw that they were highlighting this movie kind of, I'm assuming kind of response to everything going on saying like this, like a kind of a bomb of a movie. And it's like, I'll check it out. And it was kind of what I needed at like a week into lockdown, just wanting to be in like a new place with interesting characters and a like fascinating aspect of the world. Like the whole idea of like, just look at the stars and kind of find peace in among that. It was just kind of the movie went in a couple of different directions because, like, you think it's going to be about this guy trying to buy the town, and it's about how the town, like Tessa, you said, they want to sell, but they're also like showing him like all the great things about the world. And if he just looks around and pays attention versus just trying to be work all the time, you might be surprised. So it just kind of fit there. And then now it's just like a movie that like I want to watch something that kind of makes me feel good. I just put it on because it just has that. It makes me laugh, but it also makes me like just kind of feel good about like what the world could be like. It did make me want to live in this village in the middle of nowhere in Scotland by the sea. And that little uh, hut that Ben has on the beach. I mean, Tessa, that that's just you just don't want to live in America. I mean, at this point, you know. So it was the most recent of the three that I've watched, but I've watched it 
I watched it once last year. I've already watched it once, at least once this year. So it's a movie that. So it's a newcomer, but it's like art. It's climbed very high very quickly. Yeah. And I can definitely see it as a big thing. Like one of those movies where not always on the same day, but like an annual watch. Can I ask, why did you want to assign us like comfort movies for you? Um, Just because the world's hard. I like sharing things that make me laugh with like it's easy to like show share movies that like are considered like prestigious movies but i feel like right now everyone needs some laugh laughter and these movies are so ridiculous but there's always gonna there's gonna be something that makes you laugh in every single one even andy who did not like dick found things to laugh about oh oh yeah no no dick dick is very funny it's just <laughs> now we're just doing the bit from the movie now. <laughs> uh, uh. Well, I really for I for one really appreciate the comfort this week. Like I I definitely needed to watch some of these movies this week and the fact that they were new to me just made it even better. So Now you provided which ones you were your blind spots and I was like also wanted to choose ones that kind of kind of can have like a similar amount of laughter but i was just saying that local hero is definitely the most dramatic but then you get scenes like the sex scene in local hero where they are tell the guy to stop banging in their house so then they can bang in in the house (laughs) i like when they're just like do you think that they have sex every day and they're like no they're totally having sex every day yeah for sure it's been interesting looking at you know, seeing the list as a whole, seeing the three movies that you picked out, and we'll talk a little bit more in just a second about where we can find that list should we want to. But yeah, it was it was cool getting to to see three of these movies and hearing a lot about how you put together the list. Awesome. Yeah, these assigned episodes are really fun. So thank you for for coming on and doing this with us. Of course, thank you for having me. All right, tune in next week for a Rock Docs and Concert Film episode. Very exciting. Jack, where can people find you online and where can they find your Jack's Canon list? You can find me on Twitter at Jack Tweets Life and then on Letterboxd where I have my Canon list at Jack Loves Cinema. Perfect. Andy, where can people find you online? You can find me online on Twitter at Andy Noted. Sam? I'm on Twitter at same underscore Morris nine. You can find me online at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can also find me on my other podcast, Danny Ogg's Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. You can also find us on our second weekly episodes. Right now we are doing Tessa Watches Lost, and we are on the fourth season of Lost. Those come out on Thursdays. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.